and welcome back to Manchester's Big Theatre Podcast. This is Series 3, Episode 2. Thank you to everyone who tuned in last week for our first episode of Series 3. We hope you enjoyed that. In today's episode, Joe went to speak to Adam and Hannah, who are joint artistic directors of Box of Tricks Theatre Company. So I'm here with Box of Tricks, with Hannah and Adam. Um, so can you just tell me a little bit about what, what is Box of Tricks? Um, so Box of Tricks uh, is a new writing theatre company based in Manchester. Um, we pride ourselves on working with playwrights and uh, uh, about five years ago we moved to a commissioning model Um, so we commission playwrights uh, from the seed of an idea uh, through its development uh, and then onto onto stages uh, across the UK Um, but we also have an early career program called Playbox um, that is for local writers based in the northwest um, and that's a year-long program where we develop a, a new play with them um, and we give them dramaturgical support and develop it with actors um, and then it kind of culminates in a, a rehearsed reading. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of box tricks in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, I think the really important thing uh, to, to say about that is that um, our agenda in working for playwrights is to put them at the heart of the process. So, actually, we don't, um, we don't have an idea of the type of plays that we want people to write or the type of process that we want them to undergo actually it's about saying it's about choosing people who've got exciting voices and stories that we think need to be got out there and then doing whatever they need Mm. to support that story and tell it in its best form um and that was the big shift for us in kind of becoming a commissioning only company and setting up playbots as well as an initiative that we felt that those are the best ways that we could provide really meaningful support mm. for playwrights. And actually it's been a really rewarding experience for us to, to work in that way and yeah. to, to work from the ground up, you know, with a play and go on that whole journey rather than, you know, kind of receiving a play in your inbox and going, oh yeah, this is quite good and let's yeah. develop it a bit. It's actually going from that very first idea um, and and just being part of that entire process has been incredibly rewarding. Yeah. It's nice, yeah. And is there a remit in terms of do you work with writers from Manchester or is it from anywhere? Uh, well, Playbox, so our early career programme, is specifically northwest-based writers, um, which has so far predominantly been Manchester. Yes, definitely. Um, we've strayed into kind of Merseyside, Liverpool a bit. Um, but that is that is definitely regionally specific. Um, in terms of our commission plays and the full mm. productions that we do, um, that's open to writers from wherever. So um, we've currently got uh, well, Spark Plug that's on, yeah. um, and David Judge, the playwright and performer, is from Manchester. But the other plays that we've got in development at the moment, we've got uh, two playwrights who are based down south, one in London, one in Brighton, um, and then we've got a northeast playwright currently under commission and. Um, and then Lizzie Nunnery over in Liverpool as well. So there's a nice variety. Mm. Um, it means we get to be in different cities sometimes, which is always good. <laughs> um, and how did it start? How did, it, how did Boxer Tricks start? So um, Hannah and I uh, met doing the directing course at Mountview, which is a year-long post-grad course. Um, and at the end of that, we, um, we kind of found ourselves in that... Uh, 
Catch yeah, the catch-22 position of not being able to get a job because we didn't have the experience um, and we couldn't get the experience because we couldn't get the job. Yeah. So we were actually kind of said, right, well, let's let's create our own en- entity and put on our work, own work and kind of see how it goes. Um, in the first kind of six months of Box Tricks, it was... Um, bit of a baptism of fire I guess <laughs> yeah. um, but it was but we learned quite a lot and, and actually realized that we were onto something um, and in those early days we kind of sat on the fence as to whether we we're going to be new writing or contemporary classics I think is what we called it wasn't it yeah, um, but yeah. they, we quite quickly ditched the contemporary classics and okay. and and went wholeheartedly new yeah, writing, for, yeah for new writing and we haven't really looked back you know since and the, over the last 13 years we've kind of honed that vision of how we work with writers and, but it's always been about new plays and playwrights because that's what kind of fires us up yeah um, and I, and is this true of you I've exclusively worked on new plays no I did I, the first one I did was an existing yeah but other than that it's all been new plays right? yeah 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 but outside the company as well oh I don't know yeah but yeah outside the company. and did you start in London is that right yes yes and then you made a move up to Manchester yeah it's really interesting because when um Going back uh, 14, 15 years, when, I, when we started the Mount View course, I mean, I, I'm from Manchester originally, um, and going down to London just felt like the thing that I needed to do in, a, in order to get experience and, you know, ch- you know follow my dreams in, in terms of becoming a director. Um, and, and actually, during that time, whilst we're down in London, things really changed up here. Um, and we started to see a big shift. And, uh, and, we, f- and we felt with... You know, we were in London for six years and we predominantly put plays on kind of fringe theatres um, and off West End theatres. And we started to kind of tentatively do a bit of touring, so kind of festivals and we went to Zagreb a couple of times, didn't we? And uh, it kind of built up, but we felt like we kind of reached a bit of a glass ceiling without a massive cash injection. We'd never have got beyond that. Um, so we kind of started to look at um, moving out of outside of the M25. And there were a few places that were... On the list. On the yeah. list, yeah, including kind of Bristol and uh, Leeds and uh, Sheffield and Newcastle. You know, there's quite a few places, but Manchester was always kind of top of my list. It was a. Uh... Yeah, and when we were thinking about making the move, the BBC had just moved up mm. here and the library and Corner House announced their merger into home. We were like, actually, it could be a really exciting time to come up to the city. Um, and yeah, having having the personal link to the region helped anyway and we had we'd done something at um the now defunct not part of festival mm. um in manchester in 2010 no, yeah. 2011 2011 um so we'd had an experience of the city and it felt right the move felt mm. right it's the best thing that we did for the company to be honest um i think there was also a, a desire in leaving london to um connect with a different type of audience um you know the London has an amazing range and quality of theatre and still a lot of the best theatre in the country is going on there. But a lot of the audiences um, are filled with people who work in the industry. So you're playing to, you know, to a crowd of your peers or for people who already know what they want. And actually the brief experience that we had of touring before we made the move out of the capital, um, it was just really exciting to have like quotes normal people just <laughs> yeah. coming to see your work and yeah. responding really genuinely and mm. not not really having an agenda or not having um, a sense of uh, needing to appear to understand stuff or yeah. you know have already have a knowledge of theatre. It was just some bloke who lived around the corner from 
this, this part yeah. where you were doing a play and thought he'd go into the back room one day to see what was what it was all about and then that, that that's an amazing connection to have in terms of a story yeah. and I think that's something that um, we've become increasingly keen to explore further mm. as, um, you know, through our work and making sure that we're um, we're connecting with people who don't think theatre is for them, who think that it's Shakespeare, who think that it's a bit complicated, who think you need to get dressed up smart and be on your best behaviour. Um, actually, we want to say, no, it's just about sitting in a room and listening to a story and getting excited mm. about that. Um, and I think that we needed to get out of London yeah, to really yeah. connect with that yeah. um, that, that storytelling. Yeah. Uh, so, and so far, are there any, what are the standout moments, or the standout moments in the th- 13 years, you said? Mm. Are there any kind of maybe two or three moments that really stand out? Uh, it was really great going to the UK Theatre Awards last year with Narvik and that winning Best New Play. Mm. That was um, that was a big deal. That was mm. great. Got to go to a really swanky do and... Uh, Lizzie got a lovely piece of glassware to, to take back and have in her downstairs loo. Um, that was really great. Um, I think Chip Shop Chips, um, which was our first non-theatre space rural tour project. Um, and what was that? Can you tell us what So that was a play with my Becky Presswich, who we've um, collaborated with a lot, actually. We did our first play with her in 2007. Um, she's a, a Manchester-based playwright. But actually, we worked with her in London, um, and we, uh, when we shifted to our commissioning model, we wanted her to be one of the first playwrights that we commissioned. And um, she'd actually come to see another of our shows in Bolton and gone to the Olympus Fish and Chip Shop for a pre-show dinner, and that had kind of sparked this idea in her head of telling a story set in a chip shop with people having their chippy tea. Um, and then that became this kind of immersive, experiential piece where the audience sat and had fish and chips while the play happened around them. Mm. Um, and we, we were like, yeah, let's do that, it be fun. And then really stressed ourselves out about the logistics of getting <laughs> fish and chips and keeping them warm and, oh, my God, and all this all this stuff and had, like, a four-page list of all the headaches and problems that could possibly happen and how are we going to sell it and what if no one comes? And... Um, and then the tour sold out and everybody loved it and it was absolutely amazing and it worked really well and the cast had a lovely time and mm. Becky was really happy. And and actually, I think that was, you know, Chip Shop Chips was a great example of that, how that development can change a project. Because I think when, when Becky initially <laughs> conceived the idea, she sort of imagined it in perhaps a traditional theatre yeah. setting, but that it, the set would be a chip shop and everything yeah. else. And actually then we kind of planted the seed of the idea of what about if it's yeah, an immersive thing? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and actually the audience would took it into chips supper and, you know, they saw yeah, this yeah. play kind of happen around and then, um, and then it just kind of, you know, snowballed. Yeah. It snowballed <laughs> from there. And oh, what if we do a quiz and what if there's, you know, there's music throughout and, you know, and it, it just became about, you know, how could we make this the most kind of exciting show that we possibly could. Um, and the audience response to that was, was overwhelming. And we we took it back out on tour um, last year, and uh, we did uh, we did a lot more kind of audience development with it. So we had a lot of surveys, and uh, we had a, a, an audience development specialist who kind of went out on the road and observed it in, in four rural locations and four um, city locations, and it, and talked to the audience and talked to the audience. And it was it was amazing how much 
people responded to um, kind of breaking the rules and breaking the fourth wall down yeah. and just, you know, that interaction. The, the amount of people who went, I mean, the amount of people who went not knowing what they were going to and the amount of men who fill up the service going, because my wife told me to come yeah. and there were chips, <laughs> yeah. but then loved it. Yeah. And it's that thing of, um, actually, it was just a story that yeah. we were telling in lots and lots of different places. Um and it was a big risk for us. Yeah. You know, we, didn't, think, we didn't know how it would work, and what, it really panned yeah, out well. Yeah, and what excited me about it was that at the heart of it, yeah. it was a new play that was well-written. Yeah. But with the way that we told it was slightly different, and it kind of attracted a new audience. Um, and that's something that we're looking to kind of continue, and that's going to be kind of a core part of our work as we're moving forward. Yes, yeah, so we're just starting a new commission along the similar, similar lines. Currently no food in it. Um but again, taking something outside of theatres and into communities and to people um, who who don't think theatres is for them, and mm. um, making them realise that actually it is. <laughs> those are those are good. Those are high points, definitely. And what are your? Um, can you tell us about the roles in the company, and maybe how that's changed as well? Because it sounds like you started in. Um, quite a fr- fringe way of mm. sale, quite an informal setup. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, we kind of, you know, when we first set up the company, it was it was very much kind of beg, steal, borrow, um, and it was kind of profit share productions. And Hannah and I, uh, you know, we basically we're both directors, and where we want to be is in the rehearsal room. Um, but in order to run a company, we had to learn a lot of skills quite quickly, um, like building a website and. Um, keeping accounts and all, all these kind of skills yeah. that we uh, we've kind of essentially become producers yeah. by accident haven't we yeah. um and 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 probably 90 percent of our job now is producing um even though what fires us up is is the directing side but i've i've grown to love it you've got a bit more of a marmite relationship with your kind of producing yeah. hat you? <laughs> yeah uh yeah <laughs> i find producing quite stressful um and it kind of takes away from some of my creative enjoyment but actually there are other aspects of running the company like um i do a lot of the education stuff and thinking about audience development and literary um literary development working mm. with writers and um kind of mentoring local artists informally and um, i really enjoy that i get a lot out of that and actually that's something that we've only really earned the right to do because we've been doing what we've yeah. been doing for so long. Um, and I enjoy that. And I think it's really important um, to do that. I, f- I find myself frequently saying to artists, you know, don't be scared to ask anybody those silly questions. Um, we were quite lucky when we started mm. out and that we found a couple of um, kind of, you know, big, big brothers and sisters within the industry who were there for us to go, um, so how do you write a press release? Who do you want to send it to? And actually, as we've grown, we've continued to, <coughs> to have that relationship, but just in a different way, you know. Yeah. And I think that it, um, it's really important to both of us that we now kind of play that role for other people and say, you know, it's, it, there's no such thing as a stupid question in this yeah. industry. And also, none of us are getting paid enough to not have time to answer these questions. Yeah. Like, we're doing it because we love it. There is enough space for all the people who've got the passion and the talent to do it. The least we can do is help you. Um, but I guess in terms of roles for the company, sort of yeah, straight, yeah. straight away from that question. But it's, but, but it's, it's kind of, it, it's evolved organically over the years. In the early days, Hannah and I tried to very much kind of split things down the middle, irrespective of Attitude. our strength. Yeah, exactly. Terrible idea. Um, and um, over the years, we've kind of honed that. So we kind of, we know what we're, what good, we're at. good at. And Even if it's not necessarily what we enjoy. Yeah. Um, no, that's good to hear, isn't it? Because yeah. I think people will see 
box of tricks, think you're doing really well, think everything's going, which it, you are, of course. But um, the reality of that is quite different. I remember in the, when we were interviewing Matthew Zia, the associate director at Royal Exchange, mm-hmm. him saying that it was 90% of his job was not directing at all. Mm-hmm. And no. being quite surprised by that, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, you kind of yeah, think. Yeah. And, and I think, actually, the longer you do it, I don't think that changes. I don't think, you know... You, you're a director for 25 years and all you're doing is directing yeah. shows. You know, even when we're in rehearsal now, we don't really get a lunch break because there's interviews to be done or you're having production meetings or you're keeping on top of all the emails. Mm. And there's, there's just other stuff that needs to be done. Actually, when mm. we started out, we had a lot more of those, oh, let's all go sit in the cafe and have a lovely <laughs> chat about <laughs> this and that and, um, you know, being a lot more kind of relaxed and, mm. and fun. And actually that's, that's a treat now when you go, oh, I don't need I haven't got any words to this lunch hour. We could all go and sit in a cafe. Um, that's one of the joys actually of touring work now, that that gives us an excuse to go out, watch the show somewhere else, be out of the office for a bit, um, and actually just enjoy that feeling of being in a theatre in a city, being with your company. And um, that's really lovely because yeah. so much of it is, is admin. And it, there's a, there's definitely a satisfaction to be got from yeah. doing that and doing it well, but that's the bit that feels a bit like a job. Yeah. And what, and one of the great things, you know, like four years ago as well, we we, we um, appointed an associate producer, uh, Amy Fisher was the first person to work yeah. with us as part of the core team, and actually that just gave us another um, another kind of string to our bow, and and actually somebody who's more kind of. Uh, his sole remit was about kind of producing and looking after that side of. The company it was nice to is, bring fresh eyes into yeah. the company as well um you know because it's it's been the two of us from the off and um you know although we work quite differently with actors and we make different different types of plays yeah. we've got a really strong shared sense of what makes good theatre and we've got a really strong shared vocab <laughs> and we spend all of our time together um so it's, it was nice to have someone new coming in mm. who just saw things a little bit differently and thought a little bit differently about it and shook us out of some of our old ways yes you know and, and made us go oh actually yeah no why have mm. we always done like that mm. we don't need to do it like that we can we can do something slightly differently mm. oh no we should have thought about that mm. um and shared the load a little bit and freed us up to do some different things and it's well. funny as well because we were always aware you know as a married couple that bringing somebody else in you know that's to witness <laughs> us you know bickering or whatever else. but um but yeah you know like a- a- amy was with us for three years and was fantastic and now uh, max emerson has joined us and uh, again it just it, it just mixes things up doesn't it yeah. and gives us you know an, a, other uh, another perspective which is just so invaluable um yeah and we've got our pool of associates as well yeah. so we've got four yeah four associate artists um who work with us on a freelance basis for projects depending on their availability and who we need and that's really nice because they're um they're theatre practitioners you know designers um and a composer who are who've got um who've got a shared interest in what Box of Tricks mm. is trying to do, who believe in the quality of the work and the reasons that we're doing it, but have the benefit of being outside of the company, working with lots of different people, doing lots of different projects, and then bringing that mm. that energy into our projects. Mm. But while, while we still retain a really lovely security that enables us to take loads of risks. In fact, mm. I was talking to Katie Scott, one of our associates who's our designer and has done the last four, four shows, shows um, saying that actually it, 
it enables us to keep pushing ourselves and keep being really ambitious with what we're putting on stage. I mean, Sparkplug being a great example of that. You've got a really great car <laughs> on the stage because we know each other so well and we know that we care about it and we know that we both want to do our very best that we'll then give each other the space to make some mistakes, to ask lots of questions, to get a bit stressed out um, and to bring each other baked goods. Katie's very good at that. Um to, that enables us to keep moving forward and keep growing, mm. and that was a really good decision on our part to bring those associates. Yeah, in. and to have those regular collaborators. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. been a really positive move for us. And we started that relatively early. We started that in London with Chris James, who um, is a sound designer and was at Mountview with us mm. at the same time. So I mean, we've known him for fifteen years, and he's been part of the company for over ten. For yeah, over ten years, mm. um, and that's a relationship that just keeps getting better and better. Um, and it helps that he's. An incredibly talented sound designer um, who also can get hold of really reasonably priced equipment. <laughs> and, and for the both of you, you said it's 13 years. Is that is this kind of have you done any other work outside of Box of Tricks? Um, we have, yeah. I mean, we've both, when we first set up the company, we did, you know, because the company didn't pay us very much money at all if any um actually we we did we worked a lot outside the company and um so we both did quite a lot of education work uh, theater education work um which i did as a means to an end at the start but actually fell in love with um you were always quite yeah, passionate about working with young people yeah um and i think actually you're better <laughs> you're better in kind of workshop scenario but 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 it was something like I worked with Shakespeare Schools Festival uh, a number of years and, and I found that incredibly rewarding, you know, seeing, you know, these young people going up on stage and performing half hour versions of Shakespeare, making it their own. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> not, not always. <laughs> I can remember some very... But that's that's the joy of it, though, isn't it? <laughs> so, but you know, like the, the you know, that they they feel an ownership over it, and they can yeah. kind of tell that story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did. I I did a lot of education work, and actually, have only recently scaled that down, mm. really. Um, and since having having my daughter in the mm. last four years, um, but then we've both done little bits and bobs of freelance stuff. Um, we've both directed at Alma North. Um, which we both really enjoyed, actually. Um, it's lovely working with drama school kids because you can get them to do anything. They're like, why don't we try this game? They're like, yeah! Um, and they're always up for doing loads mm. of like movement stuff, whereas you know, actors who've been in the industry for a number of years can sometimes just look at you with a raised eyebrow like, no, I'm not doing that exercise. No, I don't want to play that jaded, game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Whereas, um, you know, third is at drama school. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Although increasingly they make us feel very, very old. <laughs> um, but that's that's been a really nice outlet mm. for doing a really different kind of work to what we get to do in Bots of Tricks, because you know, you've got a lot more people on stage and our budgets often prohibit us from having 16 people on stage. Yeah, there is something joyous about yeah having a cast that size. Yeah. Um, that you just don't get... I mean, our generation of theatre makers, and I think it's you know it's getting increasingly true, yeah. you know, if you've got three or four people on stage, that's quite a big cast for you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... And I, I look forward to the day of... you know. In fact, it's something that we're talking about with Box Tricks, yeah. isn't it? And how we can um, take that step up and, you know, uh, and produce not only work in studios, kind of for three or four actors, or yeah. or in the case of Sparkplug, one man, um, but... but but for like casts of six, seven, eight. Yeah, know. which we are. And we're starting to develop some projects that have got those numbers in. Um, 
But it's tricky, like in terms of working outside the company, it's tricky to find the time mm. to do it because we've because we're not core funded. So um, every, all the projects need the funding for each project needs to be applied for at the right time for that project. It means that we've got to plan everything quite carefully. So then you only have kind of strategic gaps. So if a project were to come along then it fitted into that gap great mm. but actually because we're quite a small team you know we can only sustain one of us being out of the office for so long before it become before it puts too much strain on the company it starts to compromise the projects mm. um but it's good for us to go and do bits and bobs and, and different stuff and we really Definitely. enjoy the opportunity to connect with you know the rest of the manchester theater community mm. like we've done we've both done jb shorts a number of times um you know and bits and bobs like that have just getting out and doing mm. something that, that hasn't necessarily got the box of tricks stamp on it um, it's fun and also you don't have to worry about all the producing stuff it's <laughs> quite nice to just park all of that have lunch hours <laughs> and, and in terms of like fundraising or kind of getting the company to a point where I don't know like it pays you guys a wage it pay you, you've got an associate for the last four of associate producer how much of a um, journey has that been and how, how where are you now at that point um, yeah it's a good question I think that it's it's something that's it's evolving um, the, 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 the decision to move to Manchester was brilliant on that front because it just opened door, doorways and it, not just in terms of funding but in terms of partners and stakeholders like you know theatres that we worked work with and that, that that just enabled us to to attract funding and to kind of build from there and and when that was one of the things we struggled with in london was yeah. just to get a meeting get a foot in the door uh, with people you know have a cup of tea with them let alone actually create strategic partnerships you know and, and i think the theaters up here have got a lot more of an open door policy and they're up for ideas and and, and actually that's been one of the most rewarding aspects yeah. of kind of moving up up north um and I think in terms of fundraising, we've, we've built it up over the years and, and our relationship with the Arts Council has kind of underpinned all of that. Yeah. Um, they've been an incredible partner for us. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, around 50% of our annual turnover comes from ACE. Um, and then... And is that the grant for the arts? Yeah, it's all, it's all grant for the arts. So there's no core funding. Um, and we've, we've also, like, recently we got... Um, uh, some strategic funding for, for a, a catal- the Catalyst Fund, um, which is fundraising to help us fundraise. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah. But it's so we over an eighteen month program. We we we're kind of looking at how we raise money from other sources and diversifying the income streams and all that sexy stuff. Um, so so that's been that's that's been kind of central to uh, how we've been able to grow as a company over the last six seven years. Yeah, and has that been helpful? That. that? catalyst yeah it has it's been really good it's given us an opportunity to uh, take some time yeah take stock and do Mm. a bit of navel gazing and kind of figure out what our best approach is um and and, and rather than kind of look at it as like a sudden kind of overhaul or anything else it's about making those incremental changes and 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 that's an ongoing process so that that runs out at the end of this year yeah so we're we're kind of that's something that's kind of a proactive thing that we're doing throughout 2019. Yeah. Um, but yeah, trusts and foundations have been great for us in terms of small grants. Um, but one of the things that we're looking to take a step up with is that core funding. Okay. So kind of attracting multi-year grants and um, getting more money from trusts and foundations. And I think we're in a position now, and we've got you know sufficient 
track records to kind of um, make a case for that kind of funding. But it's it's how we make that case. Yeah, we are firmly in the subsidised sector. The, the work we make is not, you know... Commercial. It's not commercial. It's not that kind of stuff where we can attract you know, investors with nice fat checkbooks to who will then get a big profit from it. That's just not it's not the way that we're working. So that um requires a fair amount of inventive thinking and planning. Mm. Um and that again it's one of those skills that you don't realise you need to have when you go, I just want to be a director and make theatre. But actually you've got to be able to put together fundraising plans and strategies. Yeah, and I think, and I think all that stuff and know how to talk to donors yeah. and um that's a whole new skill set that we're still we're still developing. Yeah, and I think the biggest turning point for us was the day we realised that we needed to factor in enough time for projects. I think when you're yeah. you're a young company and you're just ambitious and you're hungry to put work on, you just want to put work on in you know three, four, five, six months' time, and you're right, let's just just do it. And there's and there's there's value to that. You know, we did. We did. Oh my god, White Bear. Yeah, we did three shows in six months. Yeah. And then one show at the at five oh three. Did we not do that with something like a six or eight week turnaround? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah. But you do it, and actually, we did it, and it was a good experience to do. And hell of a learning curve. But now, we, now <laughs> we plan projects. You know, eighteen months in advance, at least. So that when so Properly, yeah. yeah so so when we start tour booking for a new show that that will start in earnest you know a year, a year, a year yeah. ahead so that we can get those venues interested and then it takes it all takes time yeah. and then get everything in place so we can put the funding application in and it's yeah it is it's just about kind of working backwards from yeah. our end goal um, and that's that that took us a long time to figure out yeah, but it did still, made a big change I still feel like I'm breaking playwrights hearts when I say we love the script it's absolutely fantastic we think it's going to be on in two years time and they're like what? <laughs> like, because we need this year to develop it and mm. this year to like once it's booked in to just plan that and mm. You know, I remember having that conversation with David about a spark plug, and he was a bit like, "Oh, okay." okay. So yeah. David judged you. Yeah, spark. yeah, and that that's taken that's basically taken two years from when we did the R and D on it, and and luckily he's been really busy with other stuff in the meantime. But there was a, you know, slight sense that I had rained on his parade somewhat. But you know, now he's happy. And is there like <laughs> a standard? process that you take playwrights on so you've gone you've gone to a commission model you said so that's when what is that? <laughs> well, so, so so yeah so we we approach there's a definite structure yeah and actually for us it was really important that we um invested meaningfully in writers um there's you know there's some great playwright awards out there like bruntwood and the papatango and all of that but but it, what it creates or what what we were hearing back from playwrights is that there's a sense of having to write a particular type of play or for you know, a particular time yeah for and, and yeah to a particular deadline mm. and and that you were writing on spec essentially you know that you in the hope that you might have you know one in a million chance of winning this award or whatever um, and we kind of wanted to take that aspect away and and at a time when I think there's less money around to kind of really develop writers and and go on that journey and we kind of wanted to turn the tables on that a bit and kind of say actually we want to identify the writers that we're excited about and from day one say we're going to commission you and we're going to put it on and we're going to do this together um and empower them to 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 write the play that they wanted to write and tell the story they want to tell and to to have that support know that they'll be throughout the process at the end of yeah. it so we don't we have not currently um, I'm kind of wary of 
never saying never. Mm. Um, but in terms of our commissions, we've never had that point where um, there's the option on it and we say yes or no. Currently with our commissions, it's a yes from the off. Mm. So we'll go and talk to writers normally three at a time and say that we'd like to commission them. So we'll then set a date to have a coffee with them and talk about ideas and we'll say just bring us whatever ideas you've got. And then once we know where they are with that idea, how embryonic it is. Also, when we know whether they're champing at the bit and mega keen to start writing, we'll then start thinking about the structure of development Mm. for it. But broadly speaking, we have an initial conversation um, about ideas. Then they'll send us a treatment of some kind. Then we'll have some kind of workshops. Um, Usually like for for a week. Yeah, each piece it, always gets like a week of R and D workshops. And a work so that is for people who don't know what an R and D workshop is. It is what is that? So that um, whichever one of us is directing it, plus the playwright, plus however many actors, and if they need anyone else, like a musician or a movement director, whatever, in a room, asking lots and lots of questions about the script, pulling it apart, sticking it back together. Mm. We normally finish that week with some kind of sharing, be that to. Um, an invited industry audience or if we feel like we need some genuine punters and members of the public we'll get them along mm. or if we've if any part of the process has involved community groups mm. we might get them along as well um and then after that workshop the writer will go away again write what is normally the first full draft of the yeah. play and that's when we go right where do we think this is going to be on? And we've normally got a partner of some kind attached by this point mm. because we don't have space to do those workshops ourselves. So we normally have to find a space mm. somewhere in the Northwest to do that. And that will often be someone who's um, committed to the idea, really likes the sound of it, likes the playwright, and has kind of tentatively said, yeah, as long as the script that comes out of this is good, we'll put it on. And that will be a, ve- a venue. Yeah, yeah, so we've done that with the Lowry, with Home... Uh, Olden Coliseum. Coliseum with Everman Playhouse with Unity, with Unity. Yeah. Um, so they'll uh, so then we'll normally know that they'll be one of the stops for the piece ultimately um, and then the drafting and redrafting takes however long it takes yeah. and we will plan when the show will be on depending on how that drafting and redrafting process is going yeah and that's the thing I mean the process is you know in broad terms that's what it is but but actually it's it's bespoke to each writer and what we've kind of learned over the years is that each writer's got a very different process and instead of trying to shoehorn them into our set process we actually let them dictate uh, the, the pace of development and what they need. So, for example, we're um, developing a, an indie musical at the moment uh, called How Soon Is Now um, with a brilliant writer, Sean Owen. And that's that's actually had two uh, weeks of development because because it was, we're trying to break new ground in terms of... We haven't done a musical before, have we? Nope. So, um, actually, <laughs> exploring what that is and whether it was a musical or a play with songs or whatever it was, trying to figure that out has meant that, that we just necessitated more time. Um, and we just wanted to have two weeks listening to songs from the 90s, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they were having too yeah. much fun. And I, I, make, I make no apology for that. I make no apology. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there is, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of flexibility in our approach. And we, and what we really want to do is kind of make that each process bespoke to each writer. And not to kind of say, all oh, right, we, you've got to meet this deadline in order so that we can do this producing deadline. It, it, as much as possible, we'd like to leave it open so that we can then, you know, kind of hone things. To, to, yeah. And, to, and how do you, so you've mentioned quite a few writers. How have you found these writers? If I was a writer, 
out there listening to this now? Um, so we have an open submissions policy. So writers can email us at any point in the year um, expressing their interest in the company, sending a CV and an extract of their play. Um, no matter how many times and in how many different formats we tell people that we will not put on the play that they send, I still get quite a lot of scripts saying, I think you'll love this play and want to put it on. We won't. We absolutely categorically will not put on a script that we have been emailed by a writer. That is not what we do. What we will do if we love it is talk to them about a new idea. Mm. Um, So we get those coming in and actually if there's someone who sent us something that, that is really exciting and interesting and we really like the way they put words on a page and we like the tone of their email, then we'll um, arrange a cup of tea to just have a bit of a chat about who they are and what they do and what we do. Um, so that is always a way in, just on spec. Um, when it comes to Playbox, which we do biennially... Which is your kind of Which is on, yeah, yeah, our early career one. So that, basically, our definition of early career is that people have not had a full-length play on for a full Fully produced, amount yeah. of time. Um, or they might have come, you know, they might have come from a totally different discipline, like be a poet or a journalist or written for film and TV or radio or whatever. Um, when it comes, I tend to do kind of recruitment, a, like a, an active recruitment drive for that so I will get in touch with local writing programmes and local theatres so I'll talk to Suzanne Bell at the Exchange I'll talk to the Everman and Playhouse I'll talk to the universities find out who's coming out of courses and stuff and encourage them to spread the word about Playbox but also ask if there's any writers that they would actively advocate and mm. that they think would really benefit from Playbox and then I will meet uh, up to probably about 10 playwrights to um, talk about Playbots and work out who the three that would be right for that cycle would be. Um, and then once you know, once that Playbots, once we've had writers in that Playbots cycle, they're kind of part of the family, so they become people that we're thinking about for future projects. Um, but then we just keep an eye out mm. for who's exciting and who's had work on that we think is brilliant. We work with a lot of writers in London. We're keen to maintain those relationships and work with them again so um, both Sean Owen Adam just mentioned and uh, Dan Canaber whose play Under Three Moons is going to be the next show that we're going to have on um, we knew them in London we worked with them in London we were keen to find an opportunity to work with them again um, which is which has just come about now yeah and I think uh, and that's the thing for me is that with with playwrights we want to have as many ways in as possible um, and 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 the, the truth of the matter is that we've got a limited producing capacity, and there's a lot more writers out there that we're excited about that we'd love to work with. But we've got to be realistic about what we can and can't achieve. And there's levels of support that we can offer that aren't necessarily productions, you know. And that and that's something that we're exploring at the moment is, yeah. is how we can different ways that we can reach out to writers and offer support. And and, and we, so last last year we did um, Playbox Takeover as part of a Push. Uh, festival and, and with that we had a writer's breakfast where we met writers and talked to them about what we do and how we work with writers um, and you know had some baked goods and coffee you know it was all very very nice but it, but it's also we kind of want to break down those barriers that I think people can perceive that how do I get in you know places and we, we, we've we're doing writers nights whilst we're touring work um, so that we're doing one at live uh, theatre in Newcastle so trying to you know reach out to northeast writers and it's and it's 
constantly about trying to create more avenues in and, and more pathways into the industry um, and that's and, that, and, that, and that's I think where we can kind of best serve writers I guess mm. and finally to the end of the interview what uh, what is next in a dream world for Box of Tricks that's, that's a really interesting question because we're, we're just because the last new tricks commissions we we all of those three plays had a second life. Um, so we're now kind of embarking on the new New Tricks plays. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we've got uh, three pieces that uh, we're, we're producing over the next kind of 12, 18 months. Um, Sparkplug, which is currently out on tour, David Judge's play. Um, we've got Under Three Moons by Dan Cannabis, which is about male friendship. Uh, as, uh, Two, two friends over the course of a number of decades and how that friendship kind of evolves over the years. That's uh, going to be a studio tour. Yeah, that's going to be a studio tour. And then, yeah, How Soon Is Now, which is the uh, indie musical uh, by Sean Owen, uh, which we're going to be producing next year. Yeah. And um, then we've got two more plays un- under commission. But in terms of kind of pie-in-the-sky ambitions, yeah, dreams five, and stuff that we want to happen, um, it would be nice to know that there's a bit more money coming in that allows us to make bigger projects. Um, I mean, we're the only people who can solve that, so we, we, that's what we're doing this year. Um, but yeah, it would, I think what we'd like to do is continue doing what we're doing, so um, really well-produced studio tours, non work for non-theatre spaces, actively going out into communities that don't have um, such a great access to theatres, mm. you know, people, the good people of Manchester do, um, and also telling stories on bigger stages. Mm. So being able to give playwrights a bigger playing space, mm. more people um, there, and and continuing to hone that development process so that actually we can, um, you know, we can say to playwrights, yes, you can go here and interview these people. For, like we're Lizzie Nunnery and I are developing a play about women and war, which is involving a lot of research. Um, we do not have the money to send her to another country to go and talk to people who've been displaced by war. It'd be really lovely to get to the point where we can say, yes, here you go, it's fine, book the flights, go and do this and I will come with you. And um, It'd be really nice to make some work internationally as well. I mean, mm. current political climate is not necessarily making that easy for people, but um, we've taken work to Europe previously. It'd be lovely to do that again and, mm. um, you know, Conquer Broadway, obviously. Mm. <laughs> Five year goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, well, thank you so much. Thank you. So, that was Box of Tricks Theatre Company. Thank you so much to them for coming to speak to us. Next week is episode three, and we've got an interview with Claire Simmons, who is works in artist development at the Lowry Theatre. So, make sure you tune in then to listen to that interview. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us. You can do this by going to any app that you use to listen to podcasts and just search for us. We are also on Spotify. You can also listen to us through our website, which is www.mbtpodcast.co.uk. And you can also follow us on Twitter at mbtpodcast1, and we've got a Facebook page. Thanks very much. See you next week. Bye.